Hey everybody, I just wanted to give you a little bit of an outline of what this episode was going to be like because it's different than our usual. Usually we just answer your questions, but this week we had a special treat. We had Tom on, who is a development team athlete from 2023. So we did that for the first 37 minutes, and then at minute 37, Eric and I debriefed uh, our sleep week data and our experiences with that. And then finally, at minute 58, (laughs) we actually started answering some questions. So we really hope you'll listen to the whole podcast, but if you're only interested in parts of it, uh, there's your little outline. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Hey everyone, welcome to that Triathlon Life podcast. I'm Eric Lagerstrom. I'm Paula Finley. I'm Nick Goldston. And I'm Tom Davis. This is Tom. He's on uh, the TTL development team, the 2023 TTL development team class, I guess. Uh, We're in the process right now of booting up TTL Development Team 2024, um, but we wanted to basically have a chat with Tom. He had a great year and uh, just kind of like debrief how 2023 went, talk about where the team's at, what our goals were, and what our what we're working on for the future. But this is uh, the normal podcast as well. This uh, Eric and I are both professional triathletes. Tom actually also is a professional triathlete and Nick is an amateur triathlete. So we come to you every week and answer your questions. And occasionally for special people like Tom, we bring guests on. Tom is actually in the UK right now. So he's coming to us from way across the pond. Uh, but we have the whole setup dialed, which is pretty good, actually. We're only 10 minutes behind the scheduled start time. Which is 10 minutes early for our standards. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'll just back up real quick. And like Paula said, we're professional triathletes. Our little brand is called That Triathlon Life. And what we started up last year as uh, as a way to give back to the sport was something we call the TTL development team. Um, the goal was to basically sponsor six athletes who are in the middle of making the jump from amateur to professional. So we said either like in your first year or your second year or just about to turn pro. And the idea behind this is that we know from personal experience making that jump from like winning even the amateur field at any given half Ironman out there to actually being a profitable business entity as a triathlete is incredibly challenging. Um, We have an amazing community that we built with that triathlon life and we wanted to basically do everything that we could with that community and the sponsorships that we have and everything to give some athletes like Tom a running start into their career. Yeah, so we just we just kind of put out applications for the 2024 team. And in response to that, we had a ton of people asking for updates on the 2023 team, which is fair because I think the whole point of this is to feel like the whole community has supported these athletes in their journey this year. So Tom has been a super successful, you know, person on the team and we thought he'd be a great person to bring on. So thanks for being here, Tom. Um, are you done racing for the year or you still got some to go? Yeah, 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 I'm done. Um, no, thank you for having me. Um, first off, so it's a yeah. bit surreal to be here with you guys because obviously I was a fan <laughs> even before the development team. So yeah, this is well, exciting. Thank you. Yeah, we, we also <laughs> want to make sure that as our alumni, you're continued to be supported by us. You can text us anytime. And um, I think like that's the whole point of this is not just financial support, but mentorship that is ongoing beyond just the year that you're on the team. So um, yeah, yeah, you're one of us now. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is going to turn into one of those things where like, have you ever heard that weird stat, which I'm not even sure if it's true, but there's like Genghis Khan has like 
two million descendants or whatever because it started. It's like, this is going to be the development team. In like 10 years, there's going to be like 150 alumni that are all asking you for guidance at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to like shut you guys off. All on. of the PGA yeah. top 100 have been through the yeah, development. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. That's right. <laughs> that's well, our goal. Yeah. I, I think at some point, like, I mean, we'll we'll try to... You know, I don't know, set up a group chat or something for alumni and everything. But it's at some point, like someone like Tom is going to be as successful, more successful than us and can be mentoring the, you know, team further down the line and everything. And I think it'll just be like the goodwill will feed more goodwill. So yeah, for sure. Just real quick to go through like I guess team highlights here for the year. Mintu, one challenge Turku, which is also Finnish national championships. That Woo, was a big too. one. And uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, we put in place like we were going to pay people bonuses for um, professional podiums thinking oh, maybe this will happen. Maybe it won't happen. It's a bit of a stretch, but I had to pay out some bonuses, which we were psyched Happy about. On. Yeah, Very yeah psyched it was cool, on. including Tom. Yeah. Um, Jack, he raced uh, and flew the flag at Super League on quite a few occasions. It was surreal for Paul and I to see a TTL kit riding around Super League courses in Malta and these super far away places. Really awesome. He also got two pro podiums. Um, ben had a little bit of a rough season, but turned pro, competed in his first pro race, gave us incredible coverage on Lionel Sanders' YouTube channel. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he was there. Yeah. Repping. Uh, Tom, fifth place challenge. Cagnus Sumer. I know you had a couple other ones. I was like real quick trying to pull them together so we can go into <laughs> you in more detail. And uh, mm-hmm. Kaylee was just like racking up fastest pro run splits like crazy. So those are our those are our our pride and joy results there of the year. Yeah. So Tom, what's your first year in triathlon? Like, did you race amateur for a few years? My I did my first triathlon in 2019, and this was after you rode your bike all the way around the world. That's correct. Yes. So, uh, in yeah, in 2015, that was that was some solid training. Yeah, some good base miles. Basically, when I left school uh, in 2015, I cycled around the world. Um, kind of said it. I don't know how else to to say it, but um, yeah, 18,000 miles, 100 miles a day wow. for kind of six months. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was that was something I did. Um, and then it's always a bit of an un- unconventional introduction to sport or not necessarily introduction, but I wasn't doing any competitive sport before that. Like I wasn't racing bikes. Um, and then I went off to university and I did a bit of bike racing um, and I was okay, but it was, it was a whole new kind of sport compared to the riding of my bikes that I'd already done. Like I, I didn't realize how different it was going to be. Um, but yeah, I did a few years of that and ultimately landed on triathlon and kind of I don't know the passion has just only grown from there what kind of bike do you use to ride around the world it's not a time trial bike I'm assuming it's something a little more comfortable and do you carry your own gear is it self-supported like I'm curious personally of how what are the logistics of doing that is there a set route or do you set your own route and is it it's literally every continent you rode on uh so gosh there were quite a few questions there um yeah I know (laughs) they (laughs) Which is funny because Paula hates when people do that in their own questions and then she did it. Well, with this delay, um, I just so got to the, get them all out. Right, right, right. Of course. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, so, so the bike was a road bike, um, but I used a steel frame. Uh, I used a brand in London called Condor. And wow. Yeah, it was, it was comfier. It was beautiful to ride. Um, 
The reason I didn't go for carbon was because I was carrying all my own gear. I didn't want it to snap. And I'm sure, especially nowadays, they would be fine with that. But I was was a bit wary that um, that could be an issue. And if my frame cracked in the middle of India, it would be game over. So... um, (laughs) Yeah, I I, uh, I used a steel frame. Uh, in terms of the route, there's no set route and everyone kind of does their own thing. The The guidelines that Guinness World Record kind of specify for having cycled around the world are 18,000 miles in one direction. So as in like keep going east rather than zigzagging okay. around. Um, yeah. And you have to go through two opposite points on the earth. So for me, that was New Zealand and Spain. Um, wow. And that's that's mm. kind of the the main gist of those guidelines. So within that, you can be pretty liberal. So I actually didn't even go to Africa or South America. Um, and okay. obviously not Antarctica. But uh, yeah. yeah. Right, you kind of did like this 45 degree angle, like as we look at our map. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess so. The youngest person that ever actually completed this as well, right? Uh, no, no, I'm, I was at oh. the time. Um, but oh, I'm someone's done it awesome. since. A couple of a couple of guys um, who are younger have since done it, um, which is Crazy. great because you know I'd love to I'd love to be the uh, an inspiration to to people breaking stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Well, that initially is what caught our eye when we were reading your application and then um, <laughs> your journey to to pro triathlon. Do you want to talk about a little bit about your? When you decided you wanted to be a pro triathlete, you started with amateur racing, but what was the time where you thought, oh, I could be really good at this, or I am really good at this, and I I really want to make the jump to the pro ranks and do this as a job, and um, sorry, I'm doing the, the million question things, but did you have another job before this, or did you kind of just go straight from being teenager to pro? Um, it was quite a, I don't know, maybe organic is the wrong word, but organic process in that um, I, when I first started triathlon, I was I had no idea about um, turning pro or anything. It was more just um, it was like the whole Kona thing that kind of drew me yeah. drew me in. It was like that seems like a really cool goal to aim for, um, like qualify for age group world championships. Because in cycling, there wasn't really that kind of pathway. Um, yeah, and it was kind of yeah. So that that was what I was initially aiming for, and. As I kind of progressed and progressed, it was kind of just like aim for the the next little thing above. And something I love about triathlon is how accessible it is, and how for at least middle distance and long distance, how clear cut the pathway is. Like if if you're good enough and you meet meet the standards to to get your pro license, you can you can enter the pro races and mm-hmm. do. do do your own thing and you know there are no politics involved in trying to get on a cycling team or it's it's not about who you know and stuff like that it's just if you if you meet the grade then you can do it and that's one thing i i really love about this sport certainly inside of like chasing after a half iron man and iron man and the non-draft space you have that is what drew us to it as well after years in mm. the itu space where there are a few more politics yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, which I've um since learned about having having met a few people involved <laughs> in that process. Uh, this is this is starting to make sense now. I was like trying to figure out how riding around the world had anything to do with, you know, like the way that your brain works about that versus being a pro triathlete, <laughs> but like ride around the world, do Kona, like that that tracks. Those are similarly epic objectives. Yeah. Yeah, so it was um 
a lot of it came from unsatisfaction. Uh, is that word? Dissatisfaction with bike racing. There you go. Um, like, <laughs> um, like do, rocking around a crit and kind of just doing an FTP test and sprinting out of corners really wasn't my thing. Yeah. Um, Dude, I, I feel like you're not nearly an angry enough person to be a good bike racer. Like, no <laughs> offense. I am not either. And I recognize that fairly early on. You got to have like a mean streak to like really be a successful bike racer i think or be able to turn that on in the peloton and crits and stuff and when i first when i first did a triathlon and like the community and everyone there the people you're racing this against were also friendly to you and i was like what is going on like Mm. people don't hate me anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly no fist fights after crossing the finish line (laughs) exactly oh that's cool so is your goal still to go to kona or have you sort of now through the process of racing professionally learned there's so many other options to do challenge races or stay locally uh-huh. in Europe and 70.3 racing there's there's a lot of options so Kona is most people's bucket list goal but is that still yours god i feel like i could lose some fans here but um i'm <laughs> yeah i'm i'm not overly taken by Kona at all so i qualified for i went to St George the year that was the world champs and i did that oh, as yeah. an age grouper Mm-hmm. And for me, for me, the goal was to get to the Ironman World Championships as an age grouper. I didn't care where it was. And okay. having been to St. George, I'm honestly so glad it was there and not Kona. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's I know great. this is sacrilege to say, and I can't really no, believe that I'm saying it on this podcast. But um, that's like, how I feel when I watch Kona I see on TV. People like, training Kona. I'm just like, why? Yeah. <laughs> why would you want to go there yeah. on this out and back course with no spectators? Like, it looks just horrendous to me. Um, we feel the same way, don't so, worry. And yeah, we are, we're pretty vocal about that too. <laughs> There's a lot of... Uh, it, the heat is like, it takes a special beast to fall in love with the Kona thing. <laughs> but um, it's cool yeah. that you've like started um, knowing about Kona because it is what everyone talks about. And now you've like discovered that there's more to it than that. <laughs> I do think the hype once you've been there and like witnessed it is, is very contagious as well, just from people yeah, I've talked to. So there's a lot of hype. We don't not get it, but man, it looks just not a great way to spend eight hours. Yeah. It is an interesting thing though, how many people are introduced into the sport through Kona though, through the Kona broadcast and the magic that they put into that. And then maybe, yeah. you, you know, you realize like Tom, oh, that's not exactly what I want to do, but it's, it's still the the gateway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now they have the split races, so it's actually ideal, right? If you're if if knee suits you more, you can aim for that in twenty twenty five, right? Knee suits me more, yeah. but I don't know. Splitting the men and women is tricky, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's definitely controversial. Less fun for sure. <laughs> how do you feel? How do you feel like this year went for you? Because like from my perspective, it seemed seemed pretty great um but you know like what were your goals and and how did those play out oh well, that's great to hear you say that thank you um it's been it's been interesting and like there's quite a lot of frustration for me but i think the key thing is i've had an incredible time and if you told me these results going into the season i would have like taken them in a heartbeat it's mm. just mm that having kind of now done it and been there, like I really believe that I'm capable of quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's just that that hunger for a, the extra step. But um, 
I've I've like completely ticked off all the goals I set myself like going into this year. So I think uh, it definitely has been a success in that regard. It's so interesting how common that is to yep. get to the end of a year and just feel underwhelmed with your results, but you take yourself back to where you were last year at this time. And like mm-hmm. you said, if you had laid out these results, you'd be over the moon with them. And it's it's just the nature of the sport. Like the same the same thing happens for Eric and I and you know, podiuming at a world championships even, you look back and say, Well, what if I'd been one step higher? There's yeah. never it's never enough. So it's kind of just the nature of high performance sport, I think. And it's a mm-hmm. it's a healthy thing to want more, but also be able to reflect and appreciate that you actually did uh, check off a lot of the boxes and it's a sign that you can keep, you know, training and pushing hard and getting to the next level. But I think from, you also did experience some injuries and kind of like the full spectrum of what a, being yeah. a pro triathlete is like. <laughs> it's not all easy. There are some times where you have to pull out of races or, you know, can't run for a little while. So you also had a little bit of that, yeah. didn't you? I definitely did. I had um, just a, a minor injury at the start of the season, which um, I probably could have... I wish I'd just gone to see a physio straight away. So, you know, maybe that's some advice for the people listening. Get it checked out. <laughs> um, yeah. But that, that wasn't anything major. But then, uh, yeah, in the summer, I'd had a pretty big bike crash. So kind of cut my season quite short with that. But yeah. Part of it, which was a, how, well, That was a bit out of your control, the bike crash? I guess bike crashes uh, are. To an extent. Then I, I'd like my front tire blew out as I tipped it into a hairpin. So like I just, uh, I don't know. Like oh, wow. I'm sure there are some. That things is not that your fault. Changed, but, you cannot um, go back and be like, well, if I'd been going one kilometer an hour, then it would have been fine. Like, yeah, that's not your fault. That's not reasonable to. <laughs> yeah. you know, I've been that, I've been that way with my ma- mountain bike crash as well. Well, always. I mean, uh, uh, we are big fans of new tires on this show, so always yeah. be keeping your tires newish. Especially the people that get the tires for free are a really big fan of putting new tires on their bikes. <laughs> <laughs> always been a big fan of tires nick that's true they are stupidly expensive if you update them all all the time all right all right i'm adding it to the list ttl development team 2024 tire sponsor working on tires it. Yeah. Mark yeah. noted uh i guess like my one my main question that i had coming into this was like what do you feel like was your biggest takeaway or like learning thing or something that you would tell you know tom from one year ago right now like first year pro aha moments that's exactly what I have been like in my head. I'm like, can I ask that? I the, the obvious thing is to say like, enjoy it. But I also, I really did. So it's not yeah. necessarily advice to myself. It's to what I see from a lot of other people is really take the time to just like, don't stress too much about this year because like it's your first year and enjoy it because this is what you've been working for. Like, yeah. this is all I've wanted since I was a kid. Okay, I didn't have the the goal of triathlon, but to like to try and be a professional athlete is what I've always wanted. And um, yeah, being able to take the time to enjoy that is definitely necessary, I think. Yeah. Do you feel like there were any, like, um, I don't know, logistical things that you learned? Like, it was way harder to do travel or like how far out you needed to plan which races you were going to go to or maybe you didn't have to plan out that far or you know any anything like I guess logistical where you know a couple of years ago you've been like oh man I just don't even understand how this aspect of the sport works um I think reach out to sponsors a bit earlier because I got my I mean you guys come, coming along was fantastic and an absolute godsend very um, late in the game, though. But I got my pro card in um, 
I can't remember when I got my pro card, like maybe November last year. So by the time I got around to reaching out to people, I mean, maybe it was just an excuse, but um, every every response was like, oh, we've already confirmed our roster for next year. So it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, the yeah, timeline is interesting. <laughs> it's it's literally like the summer that you start have, have to start reaching out, like August. Um, yeah. But even kind of fostering the relationships early on, like a year out, yeah, could be yeah. important. Like, oh, I really like on shoes. I'm going to race and train in them all year and then sort of demonstrate that I'm super loyal to the brand and then becomes mm. part of the conversation later on. But yeah. we find that too. We often reach out too late and it's like budgets are set no matter how good your results are. So yeah, companies are always interested when they, when you can come to them and say like, I've just been using your stuff for the last two years or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And this is just like a perfect match for me because I love it. Can we do a thing? Yeah. It's, you know, they're not cold calling somebody and trying to talk them into the shoes and then sending them their first pair and, you know, all that stuff. So um, yeah. The de- the Devo yeah. team in 23 was kind of like born, I guess, in February. It was super late. And the whole mm. thing that started it was our friend Andy. Did we mention Andy on the results? <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> Poor Andy. Uh. He won't listen to this story. Um, but no, Andy Kruger is a, our local friend who swims with us every day and has a lot of potential. And he asked us to help him design his kit. So we started going through this and we're like, oh, this is a sick kit. We should like do this for six or seven people and have them be a team. So the whole idea was conceptualized very late in the year. Um, this year we're much more organized, but we're we're still excited about it. And we like that we were able to help people, maybe like Tom, who weren't expecting this type of thing to come along early in the year. But um, Yeah, well, it was hilarious. Andy sent us over like this wild palm tree design <laughs> that he was trying to get made by some random kit company. And I was like, dude, 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 you can't wear that. Let me design you a kit real quick. And then as I was like halfway through it and I'd had like an old fashioned, I'm like, can we put a TTL? Like how much does it cost just to have a TTL logo on your moment. kit? And he's like, I don't know, buy me lunch. I'm like, dude, yeah. no, like respect yeah. yourself. Like we'll give you 1500 bucks or something. He's like, that would be amazing. And that like set the gears going and Paul in my brain. I was like, this, this is awesome. This feels so good. And, and like, it doesn't take that much when you're in your first year to like, to make a little bit of a difference. So, yeah. Anyway. So, you definitely made a difference for me. So, it's funny for us because we're not obviously giving you like a salary that you could live off of, but the community and the TTL <laughs> people that you see at events and stuff, have you noticed that that's been a, a made a difference? Like, you see other people in the kit or they come up to you and even online, like, there's, there's a sense of, oh, I'm part of a thing now. Oh, 100%. That's that's kind of our goal with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. And like online, especially because, especially as you said, everything started a little bit late. So the kits, especially in Europe, I don't think made it made it out on course um, all that true. early. I think it was only really mm-hmm. my last race where I saw some others. Um, yeah. But it was still like, yeah, hundred percent. You still feel that and for me being a first year pro and like kind of questioning what I'm doing, like whether it's worth it, it adds a big level of validation to that when, yeah, you get other people suddenly like cheering for you. It's, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, that's cool. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Cool. Man, even, even where, I mean, even for us, like running down the street in Mexico and somebody knows your name, it's special and it, it gives you a little boost. It's it It means so much more than... Like you said, added a turnaround and you haven't seen anybody in 15 minutes and doesn't feel like anybody cares. Nick? Well, I, I, I had the same thing that Eric was wondering about, about what you would tell yourself 
the beginning. This is something I love to ask people who have done something like either diff, really difficult or face some great adversity. Like, could you tell yourself something at the beginning of this that would positively impact the experience for you? And maybe for you, Tom, it's just as simple as try to enjoy it and don't put too much pressure on yourself. And and that's a perfectly great, that's usually what I tell people for their first race as an yeah. age grouper is this is not going to be your life, right? This, like this, this, this result is not your life. Try to like print that in your brain of this is a fun thing to do. This is going to feel good instead of trying to redline <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I think um, like a lot of the uh, aspects of uh, when it comes to kind of advice is it's tricky because, it, yeah, I think I've already thought about a lot of the process when it comes to racing that it's like there wasn't anything glaringly obvious that I neglected. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the main difference for me between from stepping up from age group to pro was the swim, uh, especially being a weak swimmer. It's kind of, I guess, the, the the one bit of racing advice I would have given myself was like treat the swim like a bike race and just hang on for dear life at like if you see a gap opening close it immediately like don't let it stretch out Mm -hmm. and think oh maybe i can kind of stay with it like as soon as those feet go like you get on them and basically go 100 (laughs) percent. yeah that doesn't change even in a when you are at the pointy end of the race like if you lose someone's feet that could be the race just with the speeds that the bike Mm. is getting at these days if you're not with that pack it's so strung out that it's hard to catch up so yeah it's that's really good advice for anyone who's listening i guess also in the age group field right nick (laughs) although it's a little different with the age group field for us it's it's so weird you get too many variances in people's levels unless you're at the front end of the age group field which uh, unfortunately i've never been at oh you're in the top 50 to the extent (laughs) to the extent i was talking about like ironman switzerland i I've never swum harder for an hour. I kind of went out the first 100 meters thinking, this is surely going to die down in like 800 meters. And it just kept going. And <laughs> oh, I was no. dying. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, and it was uh, so worth it for me because, you know, it meant I was then with a bike pack for 180K. But like, had that been an age route race where you come out of the water and you you have no idea what standard the the guys you're going to be riding with are like you're probably completely yeah. different levels it's not it's not worth killing yourself in the swim yeah that's a good point that's huge and then mm-hmm. you could ride with people and pace yourself throughout the whole four hour bike ride mm. or whatever it is right yeah. <laughs> so tom is your focus next year mostly fulls again that's like your favorite distance uh I'm so, it, it is what I it's what I really want to be good at. Um, I'm still figuring out whether it is what I'm good at, and yeah. I'm undecided at the moment on um, on next year. Uh, I qualified for the championship, which I'd really like to go and do, just because to qualify for an elite championship, I think it's pretty cool. It's something I've like always wanted in the back of my mind, so I don't really want to pass up the opportunity. Um, on the mm-hmm. flip side, it's like a pan flat course and it, it doesn't really play to my strengths. So I'm kind of, I'm still going back and forth on what, what my plans for next year are going to be. Is that still in Samarin? Yeah. That is as pancake flat as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That being said, I've never, I've also never really done like a, a fast middle distance course. So it would be quite nice to try and set a quick time, I guess. Yeah. There's something fun about that race, just going as hard as you can and actually going 50k an hour whatever you guys do it's um, yeah. it's a different kind of racing but it's definitely 
fun. Th- this mm-hmm. actually just occurred to me. So uh, off of the uh, the announcement of the Iron Man Pro series, and like also obviously keeping in mind that the PTO series exists, like when when you heard that announcement, how did that make you feel? Where you're like, oh, sick, this is going to be more money for me, or you're like wow, I don't even, how, it sounds impossible to even get into that money or like, did it, were you encouraged or discouraged or, you know, what was your reaction to that announcement? My, my initial reaction wasn't actually anything personal. It was just, this is really good for the sport. Like, Mm. I'm so glad that this is happening and Iron Man stepping up. And the weird thing was like, I was, I saw the news break on Instagram because I feel like that's where I see all my news now, news in inverted commas. But um, RIP Twitter. But, like, there were so many negative <laughs> comments on there. Like people, people saying things like, oh yeah, they're just trying to keep up with the PTO. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's how the world works. It, like the, at least it's a, it's a good thing they're doing. Like you don't need to come on here and then slate them for other mistakes they've made. Um, so yeah, I just I thought it was great. Um, how it affects me personally, I think it's probably a bit too early for me to target. Like, I'd I'd say I'd like to back myself to get into the top fifty of the overall if I really went for it. But um, I think the courses are going to be so dominated by people who can swim well, and I'm st- as much as I'm improving, I'm still not as good as I want to be and as good as I need to be. So I think. I'm probably probably not going to target it because, yeah, it's tricky and it would also put limitations on travel because obviously there are only selected races. So I think it's yeah. just not yeah. quite worth it for me next year. Yeah, I was. I had a pretty interesting conversation with um, Devin Volk, who we swam with. He was the top age group mm. at Kona two years ago. He he finished very close to me in the St George World Champs that I did when we oh. were age groupers. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah, he swims with us. He's like. <laughs> killing himself to improve his swim right now for the Uh, same reason (laughs) he knows that that's the key yeah (laughs) but we had an interesting conversation about it and a thing that i hadn't necessarily thought of at first when they announced it is that if you're in that position of trying to break into professional racing and everything this all of a sudden makes oceanside for example or saint george which which are a couple of the races that we have to pick from in our region here even more competitive than they initially were but the prize money at the race itself stays the same. But now you're having to beat Patrick Langa and Joe Skipper and Lionel's obviously there. And, you know, if Jan was racing, he'd be there. And it just, it, it, you know, he was, Devin was like, man, I just, like, there's only so many races that you can do. And now, like, Europeans are going to come over and try to get points up for this thing. And he was having a little bit of a struggle with, you know, where do I fit into the whole overall mm-hmm. calendar now if I'm trying to make, you know, any money at all, getting seventh, fifth, fourth, you know, working way up, so... Yeah, no, that's definitely the flip side of it. And I think, but hopefully what that means is that the other races, which, you know, okay, the Pro Series races, the prize money hasn't changed, which is annoying for them. But also the other races that aren't Pro Series, the prize money hasn't changed and maybe they'll be less competitive. So I think there's a flip side and that's what I'm trying to look at. That's what I think. I think that's perfect for for you to target those races, right? Maybe yeah. even for Eric to target those races. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like from my perspective, the the Pro Series is is tricky because I think you're going to have to do three Ironmans. Like if you want to be on the podium at the end of the 100%. year for it, like you got to do a lot of Ironmans and that's not my jam. But um, I don't know, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, okay, so what? They're responding to the PTO. That was the whole point. That's what we're all trying to accomplish here is that the, you know, the rising tide carries all ships and like the competition is good and everything. So... Zero percent upset at Ironman. It's just it's given a bunch of questions like, okay, how do how does this uh, new thing fit into like 
each person's race strategy. It'll be an interesting year to watch. Yeah, it was also just good that um, Ironman released some of their pro races a bit earlier than they did last year because... <laughs> I'd not totally. really appreciated that now. before, but like trying to plan my season last year and the calendar wasn't even out in like February. I was like, what's going on? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And flights just get more expensive as you get closer yeah. to races. And- That's definitely yeah. a bit of an adjustment with, with racing professional, I, I think is like, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, you can sign up for as many races as you want with the pro like sign up thing, but it's, you can't just plan out your season one and a half years in advance, like sometimes, like a lot of people do no. with, with age you know, group racing. With age group yeah. racing so. yeah. Well, for next year, we just so the nation knows, um, we're going through applications <laughs> now, and we kind of have it narrowed down to about ten people to have initial phone calls with, and then we'll narrow it down from there to six. And last year when we did this, it was so hard to narrow it down. Like every person has put so much work into their application, into their paragraphs and paragraphs explaining why they should be picked. So we've enjoyed reading through them. And for our alumni team, like Tom and Mintu and Andy and Kaylee and uh, everyone who was on it last year, we still want to offer you guys support. We're not wealthy enough to continue financial support year after year after year. But um, if you guys want to keep racing in the TTL kit, we'll be able to provide you with your own kit where you can have your own look, but still have the TTL logo and be part of the community. And um, obviously, you have us on speed dial if we, you need us anytime. So. Yeah, and and we'll be sharing. We'll be continuing to share your results and and all of the things. So we want very much for people who uh, supported the team this year and are just following along with the development of it to, you know, see you winning Kona in five <laughs> years and feel like they were a part of it. Yeah, we we totally recognize too. It takes more than a year to. To reach your potential in this sport, and mm-hmm. our goal with the Devo team is to kind of kickstart it, but obviously not to f- complete that process. It's a long journey, and <laughs> we're excited to like watch you continue to improve and get better. And yeah, it's a fun a fun thing for us to follow too from afar. So we haven't actually met you in person yet, but hopefully this year we can cross paths at no, some it's point. Really sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would yeah. be great. Can I just um, take a moment just to say thank you to like everyone who supported it, like and bought kits and stuff because it was yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And obviously, Eric and Paula putting it together is fantastic. But to have the support of the community is like something I never imagined. Especially like at the start of this year, it's kind of blown my mind. So yeah, yeah. thank you to everyone listening from me as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's. That's nice. Thank you. One hundred percent. We absolutely, like Paula said, we do not have uh, you know the means to which to like fund this completely on our own. It is it is thanks to TTL, everyone who listens to the podcast, watches the YouTube, bought a kit and everything, and and, and we feel like we're just sort of um, the caretakers of it. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's all we got. Tom, thank you so much for coming on. I apologize that it took so long to not make it happen, all. but. Um, we hit, we got the technology figured out. I think it's going to sound great. And um, man, we really appreciate you representing TTL this year. Yeah, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hopefully people are already following you, but what's your Instagram handle so people can uh, make sure Tom they're following? Davies, RTW. So like the RTW stands for around the world. I'm still kind of living Oh, cool. Oh, Heck nice. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's David, it's D-A- V-I-S is how you spell your last name. I-E-S. I-E-S. Okay, good thing I said that. Sorry. Yeah, cool. there is another Tom Davis who's also a British pro, so it's a little yeah. bit... Yeah, don't follow that guy. That's good. Uh, that guy sucks. 
That gets confusing. <laughs> we actually, we went to uni together as well. So it's like... Oh, wow. I think there were a couple times where like our friend Sam, who manages a lot of the logistics of the team, saw the other Tom yeah. racing and was like posting about <laughs> his results, thinking it was you. Because she's a little out of touch with like actually what's going on, more just involved directly with you guys. So it was... Uh, a little challenging sometimes to keep track. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, he, he's he's a bit more well-established than me. So, like, I always find it quite funny. But um, I think it can be annoying for him. And I think even on one start line, he got interviewed and he was got asked about cycling around the world. And he was like, mm, that wasn't so me. funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. All right. I just went and looked at your Instagram, Tom. You have 4,835 followers at the time of this podcast recording. Everybody who's listening... Go follow Tom. Let's see how high we can get that. Let's get him to 10K. We are also 10K, going... wow. I mean, that would be amazing. I, I'm going to say, I don't know if that's possible, but if anybody can do it, we can do it. Nick, we get we get so many <laughs> listens a week. If even a third of those people... I don't even have 10K. I'm on this podcast every single week. <laughs> that's true. You're that's... not even a pro, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, we're going to add the links to the Instagrams of all the other development team athletes from this year down there. So go follow all of them, give them a little love and follow them on their journeys. And then January 1st, we're announcing the new team. So stay tuned for that. Speaking of staying tuned, stay tuned for the rest of this podcast as well. Thank you so much, Tom. Um, maybe Tom will have you on one day to actually help us answer questions too. That could be fun. That'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. We're going to do that I'd for sure. That. <laughs> now that we got the setup dialed. All right. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, guys. Okay, fast forward a couple of days, and we are now no longer in our individual places. We're all together uh, in, where are we? Do we know what the name of this town is? Morgan Hill. Close enough to Morgan Hill. Yeah. Or are we actually in Morgan Hill? Might be in Morgan Hill address. I don't know, though. Well, the reason we're here is because Specialized Headquarters is here, and the keener uh, listeners already know that Specialized also has a wind tunnel here, which they have called the Win Tunnel. And Eric and Paula are testing their positions and testing some gear to make sure that they're as efficient as possible through the air. Am I? Is that all correct? Totally correct. That is correct. Today, Paula was in the wind tunnel the entire time. We Actually, we woke up. We went for a swim. Pool here is wonderful. Then we went to the wind tunnel. Paula did like seven hours straight in there. I kept track of all the data sort of anecdotally. And then uh, Nick showed up and we went for a run. That was the day. It's yeah, I mean, it took way longer than what that makes it sound like. But yeah, it was a really productive day. I, it was, I would say... Should we do a debrief on the wind tunnel next week? Next week we'll do wind tunnel. Okay, because yeah. I got a lot to say about it. We have a lot to say about a few things this week. So first of all, last week we, I don't know how this happened or why it happened or whatever algorithm, but there were many, many comments uh, on the Spotify podcast last week. Yeah. And that's something that we have long felt was missing from podcast as a platform that was really nice about YouTube. Like YouTube, Eric puts out a video and like that same day you get a bunch of replies and you kind of get a gauge for what people liked, what people were responding to. And you get this like two way flow of information. And in podcasts, a lot of times we know that there's people out there listening because we have the numbers, but we don't really like, I don't know, it's just not the same feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to say for you, Nick, cause you love comments. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it, the, the podcast is very interesting because we can see some data, but it's like kind of spread across a bunch of different platforms and stuff versus YouTube is just like, boom, hits you in the face for better or for worse instantly. And me, at least sometimes when I get 
I don't know when I'm like, I don't know if that was good. I feel like it was good. But in my mind, the comments are like, can be validating or give some good feedback on, I don't know, uh, just, yeah, like you said, a temperature and, and it feels good to actually feel like there's real people watching these instead of just like numbers showing up on a screen. On the flip side, I kind of like having no comments because then there's nothing to read. It's like, okay, it's uh, out in the world and that's what it is. And if you don't like it or we said something you didn't like or you... You don't like how whiny I am that week, then I don't have to know <laughs> uh, about it. There are no bad comments. Right. Yeah. Well, the way that Spotify works right now is that I have to approve the comments. They don't they don't get automatically published. Really? So I do read them all. Interesting. And there's only been like one or two that I have not published. Hmm. Like so like overtly nasty things or something that was just seemed irrelevant. Where was what so the I'm sorry if this is scratching a a bad like a oh, wound, yeah. but like oh, it was, how did we get uh, stay right. in your lane, that, Tony? Hale? That was that was an Apple uh, review. Oh, yes, review. Okay. yes, a review. But what I like about the Spotify comments thing, which I wish Apple would come out with something like this too, is that it's not really a review; it's just like a little interaction thing. It's like, yeah. oh, that was funny in this episode. So right. we really encourage people if you are using Spotify as your platform to listen to the podcast to leave a comment at the end if you want. I don't know if it actually helps the algorithm at all, but it certainly makes us happy. So, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank I don't you. know they exist, and I don't read them. Yes, I do, and and I I usually will tell you guys when there's one that's I think especially yeah. funny. Or if fun. you wanna if you wanna say bad things about me, I won't see it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I won't publish those anyway. Okay. But last week we also uh, directed people towards the Spotify podcast for a poll, and that reminded me that there was a poll we did a few weeks ago that we also didn't talk about. So we'll talk about both. We'll leave the the second one for the best. The first one was I don't know if you guys remember this. What sport order would be your personal preference? For a triathlon. So we had uh, 224 votes, and Swim, Bike, Run was by far the favorite with over 50% of the votes. Really? Yes. People just fully lack in creativity. I, I mean, I agree. I, <laughs> You better not put that run first, you know, I, and you better not put the swim last, or I'm drowning in that water. Yeah. Mm. So I feel like it, it really limits your options. But mm. there was somewhat of a consensus. People, the, the favorite was Run, Bike, Swim of the non- uh, traditional ones. Okay. And the least popular of all of them was run, swim, bike. I think putting bike glass is also a little scary, like people sprinting across the line. <laughs> that feels like it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I, I guess Especially honestly- Especially in the amateur race. Bike, yeah. It's hard to have the bike last or first because then you're mass starting a bike race. Yes. Yes. Unless Imagine- it's, Unless it's gravel, then it's fine. Doesn't I matter. guess you could do the same thing that now a lot of races do, a lot of Ironman races at least do, where you do the- Three people start at once, or five people start at once with five second, uh, five seconds separating them. Yeah, but how many people actually enjoy that versus no. like starting with your wave with all the people that are your age and you kind of know what's going on? It benefits people who are a little bit fearful of the chaos of the mass start swim. Yeah, and it it allows people that are less confident as swimmers to be a little less scared of the start, but I much prefer the mass start swims. They're just fun. There's an like, energy. I feel like, yeah, you're nervous and you're scared about it, but it's also, it's like part of the thing. It's yeah. part of the thing, you know? You I guys, did, maybe- First day of school. Maybe I'm tired, but I 0% remember you putting that poll out. I think you're tired. You're tired. <laughs> what, you're tired. do you remember, Eric? I remember us I remember. talking about this. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Was it years ago? No, <laughs> no, it was not years ago. It was a few weeks <laughs> <Last> ago. Last <laughs> week. <laughs> okay, so moving on to the next poll, which this was our most successful poll ever. Not, Like I said, not that I don't think it matters. I think it's just interesting. But we said, how many triathlons have you as a listener participated in? 
And I had the sense that there were a lot of people who had still not done one who are listening to this podcast because they're trying to learn a lot. To, or, get, or to do have, their first one. Or have no intention of doing one. Or have no intention That's, of doing that'd one. That would be no, an interesting follow-up. Oh, do you ever have an intention of doing yeah. one? That is a good point. Or you just like us that much. Well, everyone out there, think <laughs> about what the results might be. And you might be surprised that 21.1% of the people that responded to the poll have not done one yet. 22% have done one to three. 23.7% have done four to nine. And the majority, 33.2%, of the podcast listeners that responded to this have done 10 plus triathlons. I thought that was a pretty interesting data point. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I thought it would have skewed way more to the 10 plus five plus. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, speaking of polls, we are now Eric and I are going to debrief our sleep week. All right. Oh my gosh. Just, yes. so, just so you know why I'm not is because I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Paula didn't do it. Basically theme of the podcast. The second half of this podcast so far is, Complete non-compliance from Paula. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. She's in her own little world. Um, well, I am super exhausted, so it's a it's a good thing I'm not. Um, seven busy. seven hours in the wind tunnel. Today. Yeah, that was a lot, Paula. Yeah, but I'm interested to hear about you guys, so let's hear it. Well, first of all, let me just say I hate Sleep Week. I hated Sleep Week. Sleep Week was did not jive with what I like to do in my day. I didn't really did not like the no screens 30 minutes before bed. It was much harder than I thought it would be. And I also really did not like the locked in sleep and wake times, but I adhered to them. I did not fail a single day. I did every day, all the criteria as close as I possibly could. Uh, I, my perception of it personally was that the thing that if anything helped me, it was the going to sleep at the exact same time. Not necessarily waking up yeah. at the same time, but going to sleep at the same time every day. I think there's, for me personally, my perception is that that had the biggest benefit. Yeah. What time did you choose? Well, I wanted to be earlier, but the first night I had some, I had an event and I had no choice. So it was in bed at 11 and then I was reading uh, until 1130. And I don't read much, but I decided to finally start reading um, Fellowship of the Ring. So I was reading, oh, <laughs> I was reading nice. Fellowship every day. Yep. So you, did, so you didn't actually fall asleep until like 4 a.m. <laughs> right. I'm just like... <laughs> What is going to happen to these four hobbits? Yep. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, dude, that's a that's a. But like, if you're page turner, I feel like that's a flaw of sleep week. Is if like on night one you're at a concert, so eleven thirty is your bedtime. Well, it's like that's not a good bedtime. But what? Dude. But what why, why not? Because it's so late. Well, okay. Who cares? I, I'm <laughs> going to sleep. I'm going to sleep the, in late. Yeah. The regularity is the thing. Here. So, and I got the exact same amount of sleep every night, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. I guess the the thing here is you don't have to wake up for work. The, that's the thing. If you are waking up for work, then yeah, that's too late. And you got to bump it to bump the sleep time. Yes. This is the hard thing for me though. Even if I go to bed late, I still wake up at six a.m. It's like just a circadian rhythm mm, thing. Yeah. It's not like oh, you've had eight hours. Let's wake up. It's like it's six a.m. That's the thing. Up. You just you got to regulate the time you go to sleep. You guys rarely go to sleep what I would call late. Yes. You, you you rarely go to sleep 30 minutes past your your your, your time that you usually fall asleep. That's true, like. that's true. Whereas for me, I have like two and a half, three hour swings of how of when I'll go yeah, to sleep. Yeah, that's nuts. You're right. Because I'll be like, oh, I'm tired and I'm going to sleep at 10.30 and then I'm like out at a concert till one the next night. Yeah. And it's like, it just happens. So this week was really hard and I had to cut social things short and set an alarm every day, which I don't normally do. Um so that my perception was that it made no difference. But the numbers, unfortunately for me, told a very different story. Both on my watch and my aura ring, I had 
Well, on my Oura Ring, it was the best sleep I've had in like 18 weeks. Damn. And um, on my watch, it was the second best I had in nine weeks, but just by a little bit. And if you take the average of all the weeks on my Oura Ring and average of all the weeks on my Garmin, it was considerably higher on both. Wow. So it really did, at least the technology was unanimous that it did have a positive effect on me. Yeah. Yeah. And before I get into mine, I guess the kicker that we, like the instant question that I had after uh, we talked about this earlier today was, do you feel any different? I do not feel any different. No. And I would have guessed that it made no difference. So I'm very surprised to see. And and you, you had an interesting follow up to that though. I feel like if you were to stick with this for three weeks, that's when you would start to feel or even see some sort of interesting data in training or, or somewhere else, I think it would start to have that effect. Because if, like, I always remember Paulo, our coach, saying, like, if you miss four hours of sleep one night, that's like four nights of going to bed one hour earlier right. to make up for that. So right. it's like a long process. So, I don't know. Stick with sleep week, turn it into sleep month, and I'm definitely, maybe you're qualifying I, for Kona. I, yeah. I'm definitely not doing that. But what I'm going to try to do is be much more vigilant about going to sleep at the same time every night. But I just noticed that that 30 minutes before bed, I get a lot done on my phone 30 minutes before before bed, and I'm not willing to sacrifice it. I, I remember I was going to sleep frustrated because yeah. I couldn't get the things no, I had that one I wanted of those. to do. <laughs> I was like, I have like three more things that I needed to Here's Google. A, we would wake up at... Like we would wake up in the morning and we'd have a text from Nick at like eleven oh two. I hate sleep week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we're waking up at six, texting him back like, "Yeah, you're learning a lot about yourself, hey." Yeah, I mean, like one of the things was no alcohol. Sleep week almost drove me to alcoholism. That's yeah. how it felt. I was like, "Somebody save me." Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that the biggest the, the biggest amount of feedback we got were people with kids. It's impossible. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. I, was, I which got is a lot fair. Yeah. You don't have to do sleep week. Well, they just have no choice. There's no sleep week. You don't get it's to awake sleep week. life for the first four years. <laughs> it's awake life. Good, uh, good. Um, you know what? Most fulfilling thing you'll do all all your lives, right? Yes. You know, and it, it, the, hopefully that time period doesn't last that long for you. Uh, okay, so for me, perceptually, it didn't make a difference, uh, but it. I guess it was making a difference, and I. I bet Eric, you're right. If I would stick with it, it would get better. What about you? Did you perceptually feel like? First of all, did you did you actually think you slept better? And then maybe it's related, maybe not. Did you feel better during the day because of that? Um, I I don't know if I slept like better, but I definitely slept more. And I feel more hours. Yeah, I slept more hours. I was very regular with the going to bed time. I adhered to the screen thing. I would say like ninety percent, pretty okay. well. Uh, without, <laughs> I have a funny story after. <laughs> yeah, stick around, guys. Without. <laughs> Um, like having to modify my bed time because like that occurred to me. I was l- looking at the thing like, oh, it's eight twenty four, eight twenty five, eight twenty six. I've got four more minutes of phone time rather than just being like. It occurred to me that I could just look at my phone until I was bored and then start a timer right. for thirty minutes <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. and go to bed whenever. <laughs> exactly, but I didn't do that. Um, uh, but, but but looking through my data, I guess what what I did struggle with was to cut out alcohol completely. No, like this is just the time of the year where I enjoy like having a couple cocktails when we go out to dinner and like friends and like that was my struggle where your struggle was like getting to bed on time and the screens or whatever. So I got it down to like a drink, one drink every other night, and I was trying to I did a pretty good job of making it 
a couple hours before bed. So I don't know. That was my effort. Uh, but my sleep was... But wait, Eric, you said you slept more. Why are you not sleeping more normally? Is it because you physically cannot? Or is there something about the criteria of sleep week that allowed you to sleep more? I, I think it's just, it was like 20 minutes, 30 minutes here and there of being, of like looking at my phone and thinking about that, how much longer do I have to text? It just made my bedtime process a bit more intentional. And so I was like going and getting in bed at 845. Got it. Because I was like, okay, well, I can't look at my phone anymore. <laughs> I, can't watch, I can't look at YouTube on the TV. Well, I'm bored. I'm going to well, sleep. For There's literally us, nothing else to do. For both of us, it <laughs> seems like the going to sleep at a certain time is a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's the biggest thing for sure. But one thing we didn't include in the sleep week criteria was anything about eating. Yeah, we should have. So one night, Eric was like... Oh, I can't watch TV. I am doing sleep week. As he was sitting on the couch eating a giant plate of pie and ice cream. Yeah, baby. And I'm like, okay, well, you can't freaking say that that's not affecting yeah, your sleep. He's just going comatose after so the I, pie. I called Nick instantly and was like, what are the rules for eating? We forgot to outline this. We did forget because I think that actually has an impact on me too. Mm. I think that has like an impact on like the crazy dreams that I have. Mm. But if I you have a lot of sweets? I almost, almost all of the time, I have a, bit, I have like a snack yeah, right before true. going to bed. That's so this true. was a slightly more extravagant snack. Well, it's not even my fault. I was going to have a totally reasonable little chunk of brownie, and then Paula reminded me that her mom made pie like four nights ago. I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess I got to eat the pie. It's not like this is a chore, but all that's right. a good point. So I had the pie. I was talking to Sarah, who's a dietitian, and she was explaining that for athletes, that she would prioritize eating and you know not going to bed hungry for an athlete is extremely important, more yeah. important than leaving a gap. You know, yeah. like if you are hungry, you should be eating. That's a huge thing for me. If I go to bed even a teeny bit hungry, if I am like laying about to go to sleep and think, hmm, am I hungry? Like I will be up at midnight and three going to get snacks and that is not helpful. Well, that's, and I just won't sleep as that's well. That's obvious. I yeah. mean, you know, if you're going to wake up from hunger anyway, then that's yeah. obvious. But I think if you're serious about your fitness, like being hungry is it's like I I noticed you guys are like this the day before race day too, like you should not be hungry, right? Like yeah. you want to be feeding yourself anything whenever. but hungry. Yeah, anything but hungry. So, okay, tell me about your numbers, Eric. Uh so I'm I'm looking at this pretty simply on the Aura app. You can just like click on your sleep score. And switch to, let's see, month mode, and that's oh, yeah. just that's just my kind of big metric that I'm gonna look at. So for me, December so far has been 77, um, and I don't know. Sleep week's been what half of December? Yeah, and it's at 77 last month, November 74. I'm just going backwards in time now. 71, 72, 65, 71, 66, 69, 70. Yeah, so clearly I would, worse. I would say about a five to six point boost over my monthly average otherwise. Yeah, that is, both of us, our, our, our technology, which by the way, our technology did not know it was sleep week. No. Nope. You know, it just is keep, it's reading the way it's reading. The sleep week is, the technology is 100% Accounting for the fact that you're going to bed at the same time every day. Yeah. That's like an automatic couple points, probably. I'm just saying that the, the technology was not uh, biased. No, but, but what, Paul, sure. what Paul is saying is interesting is there's like going to sleep at the same time every night does not guarantee you're actually getting better sleep, but maybe like Aura Ring 
does boost your points if you go to sleep the same time every night because they want to encourage that or or whatever. Well, I mean, here, here's the thing, just just to finish that off. So inside an aura ring, we're just using aura ring because I, that's what I have. Um, I've got total sleep, efficiency, which is like how quickly you fell asleep and woke up, restfulness, the amount of REM I got, the amount of deep sleep I got, the latency, which is how long from the time I was perceived Yours to be. is bad as my, oh, yours is bad in the other direction. Mine is really bad. Like it's always within two to three minutes. Oh. And they say that's too fast because you're overtired. Yeah, no, this, this was last night and we're, we're sleeping in someone else's uh, guest room. So, but I have optimal timing, like the maximum score for timing. Uh. So that's still just like one of six different metrics that are coming into a pl- account here. Yeah. Last night was optimal timing. Latency ideal, 17 minutes, but less deep sleep. Yeah, my, my my timing score is is off the charts this week. What I will say is that is, though, from looks of it, when I compare my Aura Ring like sleep cycles to my Garmin sleep cycles, they're all over the place. Hmm. They do not sync up. Oh, really? Interesting. Which I've always kind of wondered about that, but the overall scores are roughly following each other. Hmm. So, I thought it was really interesting. And now we're going to move on to the next part here, which is we know a lot of listeners did this. So we're going to give you an opportunity to also log your data with us. And it's kind of a very unscientific roundabout way of doing it. But in the description, the show description, I'm going to put a link to a Google Forms uh, link where you can take a survey saying how well you did in Sleep Week. And it'll be, it'll be a bunch of questions, but the two most important ones are from a, on a scale from zero to five, how much did you perceive that you slept better following the criteria. And then on a scale from zero to five, how much did your technology tell you that you slept better on a scale from zero to five? Yeah. So very curious. And then next Number week- Number one question. We'll go and we'll see how everyone did. But I wonder if people are going to have very similar effects to us. Yeah. I, I, would, I would assume so. I just don't think that's like a quick enough turnaround time, you know, just like training. Like, oh, I did oh, some swim intervals this week. <laughs> next week, you're not faster. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Um, okay, well, that's that. Sleep week, I would call it a... Debriefed. S- yes, debriefed. Debriefed. Very nice, Aaron. Good callback for the key listeners. They'll remember. Uh, yeah, sleep week is done. I never want to do it again, though. That was... that was. This is... We got we to gotta come back to this at some point. hard. Yeah. I don't know how. I think I'm going to continue this with just the going to sleep at a certain time. All right. That's, that's what I'm going to try to do. That's interesting. That's what I'm going to try to do. We should... We got to come up with the next challenge, though. Yeah, we do need the next challenge. All right, stay tuned. Stay can tuned. it be something I can do too? Paul, you could have done sleep week. Don't, yeah, you just don't didn't try, want don't to. try you that. Weren't, you weren't willing to undergo the, <laughs> yeah, the, the pain. Uh, the suffering, <laughs> the self-deprivation. No, I guys, I don't have a wearable. You don't have a wearable? What's your, where is your wearable? I don't know. Oh, once you got the engagement ring, she stopped wearing the aura ring. Okay, and now we're going to move on to questions. Uh, and you can submit your own questions at thattriathlonlife.com slash podcast. This week, we're only going to do three, and then there's a little story, too. But we're only going to do three. Uh, but you can submit your own questions there. There's also some beanies that just went up for sale. Uh, I guess it'll be yesterday for people that are listening. Or oh, yeah. It- uh, yeah, these are 100% merino made ooh, in the USA. Ooh. They're super nice. We got them from a company in Portland, so they're like made in Portland. Really cool for us because it's an Oregon brand, and we got some samples. Absolutely love them. And they changed, they they did the tags better than anyone's ever done the tags for us, I think. It's mm. so satisfying. Little TTL tags. Yeah, yeah, like they're just so clean, and you never know when you're doing something with a brand for the first time, and... They turned out great. So We're it's psyched. a bit of a soft launch because we've done a lot lately. But if you guys want an extra 
stocking stuffer little gift. Or if your head's cold. Yeah. It's getting cold out there. Beanie above the ears. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna lose people on that. Well, that's that's joke. Yeah. too much of a tangent. Um, okay, so first question here. This is from Blake. Hi, mom and dads. I'm fairly new to the triathlon world. I come from a motocross background. My question is about coaching. Is it normal or acceptable to switch coaches or at least entertain the idea of moving to a new coach when I feel I've plateaued or like my weak points aren't getting any better? Blake. Blake. Great question. I'm just so satisfied that uh, you came from motocross. Yeah. To listening to our podcast, that makes me feel so good. Cool factor, yeah. Up, yeah. Oh, we we should. Uh, let's see. Let's be friends. Yeah, let's be friends. Rip some trails. Um, I think it's totally okay to switch coaches. Um, I have a lot in my life, but I think it could be dangerous to switch too often because it really takes some time to like get to know an athlete and get to know a coach. Years even. You just have to see it through. I, I think it's the same thing like sleep week. You can work with a coach for two months and you're going to be so excited to have a new program and all yeah. this stuff. And you're like, wow, I'm getting so There's much like faster. like a phase. Yeah. But I think it, it's going it's gonna to take a whole year to see if this new philosophy is really working for you. You see it kind of on a long-term um, on a long-term scale. So I think it's just something you kind of got to commit with. And this is like kind of comes down to comes back to just being intentional with like the coach interview phase. So yeah. you don't set yourself up for failure. Yeah. I think also if you've had a coach for a long time, sometimes the switch will re-excite you in a positive way. Like it's not always a bad thing to have that fear, that period where you're really excited to train again and it's different, but to chase that feeling if you're just having a lull is not necessarily the best. But it's totally normal. Yeah. Maybe too normal. And maybe for amateurs more 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 often. Do you think, or, or Nick? I, I The thing that, I, the reason I agree with that is because there's so much more on the line for a professional. Yeah. So I feel like that, that connection between coach and athlete is a little more sacred. And I feel like, yeah. and I don't, I don't want to So it's harder misspeak. to yeah. break up with them. Definitely. It's, yeah. It means more when yeah. you're breaking up with them. Whereas to a certain extent, and I might be wrong and I, you know, I've never paid for a coach. So it's. I'm speaking a little bit out of ignorance here, but it feels like the coach athlete relationship on an amateur level is a little more like you're, you're hiring a coach. And I'm sure that a lot of amateurs have an actual intense connection with their coach, but I feel like probably every professional has a very intense connection with their mm, coach. Yeah. Yeah. And at the professional level, you're working with somebody who has also dedicated their life to being the best at their craft. And that's just going to, that's a common that's common connection point, and also just it feels that much more serious. And it's like it's not a knock against anyone who coaches amateur athletes, but less often that person is just like so passionate about the sport and about making an athlete stronger to the point of where like you need to have that deeper connection. And I just I see that with our coach Paulo, like he cares so much about the athletes to the point of where he'll sometimes coach an athlete for very little money just because he like desperately wants to be involved in their process and help them be better. And that's just, that's like a high level of buy-in. I should say, I, now that I think about it, I, I can think of a lot of examples where amateurs are like the first person they think when they have a good result is their coach. So they probably mm-hmm. do have a really intense connection with their coach. But I just, it just seems like if you're a professional athlete, like you said, Eric, like Paolo, his whole life is mm-hmm. triathlon. Where maybe a lot of amateur coaches have a regular job and they also coach. Yeah. Okay, uh, next question here is from Everett. 
Greetings, TTL fam. I really enjoyed the camping in Cabo video. It was especially interesting since it spans such a long time frame and many locations. It got me wondering if Eric takes photos and videos for the sake of taking videos and photos, or if some are just intended for the vlog, while others just for personal collection. Has making a vlog changed how you approach your hobby of videography and photography? Thanks as always, Everett. Kind of an intense question, but... That is that is a, that is a deep question. <clears throat> I guess just right off the bat, I'll say that photography for me is still much more enjoyment-based and almost never when I'm taking the camera to, to go take pictures do I feel like this is a thing I got to do and I'm kind of just having to do it. And it's like so much less brain function required than planning how this shot's going to fit into the overall story of this month or this week. So I don't know, it just feels lower consequence and I have a lot more fun with it. Video though has become... I don't know. It's just, it's hard to like shoot video for fun because it's such a long timeline. Like, oh, I'm just going to like do some fun video of Flynn playing in this field. But then if I ever want to see that video, it's like this edit process and I got to pick out music and it's like, I need a lot of clips for that. So I can't just stop whenever I feel like the box was checked while shooting. It's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's more investment. We've talked about this before about how different art forms have a different amount of time that it takes from when the genesis of the idea to the enjoyment of that idea. Yeah. So like photography, it's real fast. Yeah. You get to like take the picture and even before you edit it, it can kind of look good on the back of the camera. So you're like, that's a great shot. Satisfying. Video, it takes longer, right? You, you, you do the shot and you do a few shots and you have a few different angles, but then you need to be color corrected and stabilized and music and audio needs to be redone. And then you take something like, like for me, music is even a step further. Yeah. It's like, okay, it starts so abstract. Yeah. You are not capturing something that already exists. You're making something out of nothing. Like drawing might be like that a little bit. So it takes so long before you're actually able to, oh, this is this feels like a thing. I created a thing and I'm I'm enjoying the the art, the aesthetic of the thing. Yeah. But I will say, like, just so everyone knows, like Eric every day sends me like some kind of little film he's watching or something like he does love it. He wouldn't do that if he didn't love it. He still loves it. It's just, it, like you said, it's an amount of work. Mm -hmm. It always is an amount of work. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a very hard time controlling myself. If I do shoot a thing then I'm like, ah, I don't know if I'll use this for something. Almost always that stuff turns out pretty good and I want to do something with it. And then it gets rolled into whatever you might call work, uh, with the, with the, the YouTube show. So, but if if I didn't love it, I wouldn't keep doing it. It's just it is so not lucrative enough. Yeah. It's not like yeah, yeah. like the amount of money that comes in from YouTube ads every month is just it's hilarious. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. But um, versus how much time I put into it. Anyway, like I will say, the one thing for me inside of video that is still purely enjoyment hobby doesn't feel like work at all, and I can just go do for thirty minutes is flying the drone. Paul is triggered. Yeah, it's the ones where you, that you fly with the goggles. That just is like, to me, fun. It's non-consequential. It's and I think it's also partly because it's so challenging. There's like a 1% chance what I'm quote-unquote filming gonna yeah. is going to look good. Yeah, I'm just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I'm flying around and having fun. And then if it works out, awesome. Yeah, cool. Uh, okay, this is the last question here. And actually, before the last question, I wanted to read a little story from one of our listeners. Hello, TTL team. I'm 35 years old, work full-time, and I'm a father of four young children. It's been a life dream of mine to complete an Ironman, and that dream came true two weeks ago at Ironman Arizona. I was just happy to finish. I feel like you all have been a part of this journey, especially with the podcast tips and general vibe you all bring. The most impactful TTL moment for me 
was in the podcast before Nick's Iron Man Wisconsin attempt. He said that as hard as it is in the hardest moments, there's going to be a moment in my life, 30, 40, 50 years from that day, that I would give anything to be back in that middle of the race, suffering and being young and fit and, you know, just being in that exciting moment. That spoke to me. On race day, I imagined that I was 100 years old and that I was given the opportunity to go back in time and relive that day. In my mind and heart, I was an old man in a young man's body, and it helped me enjoy the race in ways you wouldn't believe. Of course, it was still hard. I was actually sick on race day, and I was just praying that I could get through the race, but the time traveler mindset really helped me out, and I got to the finish line. I thought this might be a helpful strategy to other listeners out there, and I wanted to share that with the TTL world. I, cool. I, wow. I do that all the time, not just in racing. Really? I try to think of myself in like 50 years, and I'm like, if I could think, you know, be back in this moment of me trail running on this ridge at sunset with my friends being young and fit, like uh-huh. I would love, and I try to contextualize it within that. So it's funny to hear someone else have that same kind of wow. thought process. Huh. That's cool. Like anytime That's- you're nervous for a race or dreading a run or extreme suffering in the middle of a activity, that like this person could be a really powerful. A little tool, a little tool, tool. to help you kind of yeah, be like, hey. Yeah. I'm lucky that I get to do this. And one day I will wish I was back here. For literally, it's not just advice for amateurs. It applies across any level of athlete or activity, right? Yeah. The thing is, I feel like you guys don't have as much trouble getting the most out of yourselves. And I don't know. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, do you have moments where you're like, what am I doing? Yes. Oh, wow. Because I definitely have those. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself today? Four hours in Oh, in the race. Just in general, even in training. Yeah, yeah. For sure we have those days, yeah. of course. Wow. We're all the same with regards to that. But then when I think that I'm lucky enough to do this and in 20 years, whatever, look back. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is hard. We all know it's really hard. The training is hard. That's what makes it good, but it, it doesn't take away how hard it is. And when you're doing it, there's so many things in your brain that are just like self-preservation things of like, stop, mm. stop pedaling, stop running, stop swimming, go home, sit mm. on the couch. And we somehow get through it. And every time it's, you have to start that mental battle over again. Like it's, yes, you get momentum throughout the season, but you still, every session that you start is like, okay, here we go. I'm going to have to battle these demons once again, every yeah. time. Mm. I totally. don't have that problem. Yeah. I don't know why Eric is so... He's zen. He's, He's zen, zen about it. I get that go. way with I get that with races. Mm. In in some races, I'm like, what what am I doing? But in training, I don't know. I just love it. Often when I'm running with Eric, I'm like, he he is just pain free. Like nothing hurts. He's fluid. He's not trying as hard as me. I hurt everywhere. I want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair. Oh man. And he's like, I think you deserve a chocolate. Oh my gosh. Oh wow. I feel like this wow. is some backstory. We had a full dairy milk in the van and I brought it in. There's a big and as I was walking in, I may have eaten a couple of rows. <laughs> a couple of rows of chocolate squares. <laughs> and then I got in and Nick took one single square and I was like, Nick, you deserve a full row. So I got a full row of chocolate and then, and then Eric picks up this chocolate bar. <laughs> and it's like when you pick up the milk and it's too light, it's like, oh no. <laughs> Uh, he goes to grab the wrapper and it's like all empty except one row. Yep. So he's like, you guys suck. This row is mine. Yeah. And now? And <laughs> now. You just gave me a piece of it. So, he's such a sweetie. Look at him. I know you love it more than me. Wow. The well, chocolate? Just, as much as I like it. Just, as, just like you like triathlon more than me. Yeah. And training. Well, there you go, folks. Eric's a lover of life in general. I do love life. 
Okay, and we'll 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 move on to our final question here after that <laughs> giant derailment. Uh, okay, hi Penf, which we love. Uh, I'm a frugal athlete, a rare breed. I'm realizing in the world of age group triathlon, and usually buy things secondhand. However, I'm looking at buying a trainer to use for winter training in Zwift. They give a lot more uh, context, but I'm just going to skip to the question here. Are used trainers okay to buy secondhand? What should I look for when searching for a used trainer, assuming it's Wahoo or another nice brand? If it's unlikely, a huge drop-off in quality will exist in the used one. Love listening to all you do every week. Thanks for running the pod. Um, no, like- he, Nick, I, this is a funny sign-off. Yeah. Okay, Sincerely, not quite broke, but knows it's a slippery slope. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I thought that was funny. That's great. That's great. <laughs> that, was, that was where the name is supposed How, how'd to go. How you leave that out? <laughs> Um, I mean, from our experience, I feel very, very confident saying if you were to get a Wahoo kicker, the, the direct drive type, that thing, we, they just last forever. There's nothing. Well, the cassette, right? You just replace the cassette. Yeah. You can replace the cassette just like you replace cassette on your bike and they just go and go and go. We've never needed to get a new one. It's it's part of the reason wearing out. It's part of the reason they had to come out with a new kicker idea. Because it's like people aren't buying them exactly. after they bought them the first like, time. Like, let's make a kicker move, which is amazing. But if you buy a kicker, like, that's your kicker for your entire career. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> they, and, and you know what? When you pick one up, you can feel that they're built tough because those yeah, things are so heavy. heavy. They're yeah. so heavy. Oh, my gosh, I have a terrible story. Maybe I shouldn't tell it. But I always insist on bringing a kicker. Oh, no. Uh-oh. I just wanted to tell it. Did, I always insist on bringing a kicker in the van with us because— damage the van. yeah. If we can't like ride on the road or and I need to do a thing, I want to have a trainer. So Eric makes a real sharp turn. The kicker flies Balls. off of where it was sitting and like dented the wall of the kitchen, that thing. Oh my gosh. I screamed so loud. I was so mad. And we were like in the middle of nowhere. We had to pull off and get gas. I had to like go for a walk by myself. To blow off steam. I was so mad. Ugh. So those things are heavy. They are very heavy, and they need to be locked down if you have them in a moving vehicle. Definitely. That, and that's why I was so mad. But you really need them. Like, I've been with you on multiple occasions where we're in some beautiful nature, but something doesn't allow for you to ride outside, whether it's dirt roads or a slight breeze. (laughs) I mean, there was one day we were in Malibu and Eric and I are riding up these gorgeous canyons and Paula is planted up outside of the van with her kicker, just going away at her intervals. In gale force winds carrying (laughs) sand. Like it was, okay. It was, it was windy. That was a windy day. Yeah. But the kicker was actually, we parked right beside the beach and it was just full of sand after. Maybe that's one way you could break your kicker actually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't ride it at the beach. But in terms of on the set, like, do they even come up on the secondhand market? Oh, for I sure. I guess if people are like, oh, I never ride inside. Yes. Or, I yeah. or it's like, I'm done with cycling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, if you see one, grab it. Even if it's $300 less. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think buying secondhand stuff in general is great. And a kicker is a really good option to buy secondhand. Yeah, I would just, maybe the one thing I would steer away from if, I mean, we're now that we've done real that expressed how much we love kickers um the the drive the type where your wheel is dragging on like a wheel on, a tire a on trainer on, yeah. those can get like a big old divot in them from just lots and lots of miles i think we agree direct drive trainers are yeah. the way to go for and, sure and right? if you do go with a wheel on a fluid trainer not one that's magnetic the magnetic units wear out really fast 
I'm just saying. If you can't do the direct drive trainer route. Yeah, I feel like if someone's getting rid of a non-direct drive, though, it's like 50 bucks. Yeah. Like someone just take those. What about the rollers? I mean, rollers don't have the issue with um, like a divot from the tires because you're moving around so much. Uh, but they, it's, I would still like you're going to want to maybe ride it a little bit or just know how many miles were put on it because they are still typically magnetic right. resistance units. Right. And then also gonna, never buy those. And <laughs> Paula, Eric likes Paula. Them. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> then just like the belts because they usually have a belt that's connecting the different drive drums. So making sure that those are not. Yeah, so that's so that's out. not as much of a sure bet. Like, yeah, the director. There are one some is the things that's bulletproof. I think, I think you can typically replace those those soft parts, but yeah, yeah, cool. Definitely get rollers. They're yeah, cool. they're cool. Yeah, Paula's just risk averse, and there's a, a a certain amount of risk in rollers. And the watts are not as exact, and you right. know, there's just a lot of variables, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, <laughs> yeah, a lot of what have yous. <laughs> um, okay, well, that's our podcast, and oh, uh, that's it. Yeah, that's Paula. I think this is going to be a very, very <laughs> this is long, be real long podcast. Um, and I think I'm going to have to go in the beginning and do a little disclaimer or something just to say like, hey, we're doing this interview with Tom at the beginning, and then we're going to do Sleep Week Debrief, and then we're doing questions. Yeah, yeah. so if you want questions, go to this. If you want yeah. sleep, you go to this. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Tom. It was really great to get a Devo team alumni on there. And we are going to announce the new team on January 1st. That's our plan. That's great. Um, Can't wait. Yeah, Can't so wait. we did get a lot of questions, but because this pod was so long, Nick only took three. Yeah. Just cool. go read Lord of the Rings. That's what I'm trying to do. Slowly. <laughs> I'm just not a reader. So, so now that Sleep hard. Week's over, are you ever going to finish? I'm trying. I'm trying to read it. I, I want to. I want to read it. You've, You've never you, read it? No, I've never read it. Oh, wow. I'm are really you, not a reader. Are you, uh, like, do you read at a decent speed? I'd say, a, I, don't, I guess I don't know. I've only ever been in my brain, but I think at a normal speed. <laughs> I'm a okay. Good, I'm a, I'm a You're not reader. like on chapter two. Well, the thing is, I read a lot during the day, like <laughs> on Reddit or whatever. I know this doesn't count, but you read it. <laughs> but 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 a book is different, and, yeah. and I notice myself like I'm not into that kind of thing as much. But I want to read the books. So everyone has read those. The rite of passage, man. I, a few years ago, I read all the Harry Potter books, which I had never read, mm. and they were nice. But I felt like they were a little more for kids. Yes. And Lord of the Rings feels a little more mature, maybe still for kids, but a little yes. more mature. I've never read Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so I'm giving it a shot. I've read it twice. Yeah. Nick, if you finish before January first, it's impossible. Impossible. January 1st of 2025? Because <laughs> that's the goal. It's not impossible. You got like two weeks. Yeah, I'm reading like four or five pages a night. <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay, so you are a slow reader. Okay, I'm a slow reader. Okay? Make fun of me for it. I'm sensitive about it. Okay. Right. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Bye. Bye.